Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today, and thank you for tuning in with us. Today we have uh, another wonderful uh, Bible study, and uh, before we go into, I would just like to welcome the panel. Thank you, Brenton, for joining us. Good morning, Nick, and good morning, listeners. And, uh, well, thank you for coming uh, back with us. Thank you. And I would just like to thank Lija also for joining us. And Lynn, thank you for uh, facilitating this uh, Bible study. Uh, with no further comments, I would just like to pass it to you, Lynn. Hello, listeners. Last week we studied about choices, and we recognized that God, out of a motive and out of a character of love, gave mankind the choice to serve him or otherwise. Where there is no choice, it is impossible to express or demonstrate love. Choices determine outcomes, including our health, our marriages, our work, our lives. To assist in making wise choices, the Bible has much instruction. Basically, if we live according to what the Bible teaches, our choices will lead to lives here on earth that provide satisfaction, peace and fulfilment, but with the added bonus of promised eternal life. This week we're going to study another subject called preparing for change. But before we start into this subject, Will, would you pray for our listeners and us too, please? Sure. Dear Father, it is inevitable for us in life to avoid changes, and as we encounter those challenges from day to day, we pray that we may take you with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Will. Now, you've probably heard something like this in your life, and I apply this to feral animals. The only predictable thing about them is that they're unpredictable. (laughs) And so it is with change. The only thing that doesn't change is that changes will always happen. But it's wise, if you can, to prepare for change. Well, we're going to be talking about unpreparedness and Brenton in 1 Corinthians 10. There's a summary of the history of the Israelites. Would you like to read verses 3, 7, 9 and 11 and tell us what happened? Just reading from uh, these verses. Thank you, Len. All ate the same spiritual food is verse 3. Verse 7 talks about how and do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, the next couple of verses, verse 9, says, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And verse 11 is a text that we know, many of us would know. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In brief summary, Len, it seems as though Paul, in reflecting on the history of Israel, basically says that they had all the same opportunities. They all passed through the Red Sea as a result of God's miracle of parting the waters. They were all fed by manna in the desert. 
and they were all looked after by God with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But it seems as though despite the fact that they were all a sharer in God's blessings, they didn't follow through faithfully. Uh, in verse 7 it talks about when they, or when they were unfortunately complaining as per usual and it talks about a time when they were engaged in immoral conduct. In verse 9 it talks about how they were complaining in the desert and what happened there is that God sent serpents which bit them and many of them died. Then you come down to verse 11 and really what Paul is saying is look, even though they all shared in the blessings that God had had given them, they weren't faithful. What he's saying is verse in verse 11 is, I'm not just telling you this is a history lesson, I'm telling you so that you will not repeat the mistakes that they have made. Mm-hmm. And we can <coughs> learn a lot from the mistakes that other yes, people make. We can. Now just the other day I heard somebody talking about his family, and there were quite a few boys in the family, I think there were five boys maybe six, not sure. They all lived in the same house. They all ate the same food. They all had the same parents, the same instruction, and yet they weren't all the same. Four of those boys went on to serve the Lord. One turned his back on the Lord. And this is basically what happened with many of these Israelites. And there was a change in the attitude of some of those people. Now, those people underwent a really big change because back in Egypt, while they were still slaves, they were not free. Mm -hmm. And when they received their freedom, when they were liberated from Egypt, some of them, strangely enough, changed. They wanted to go back to their previous practices, Mm. to idolatry, and the Lord was not pleased with that because after all he provided some fantastic miracles to free them and yet they turned their back on him. So Nick, is it good to go with the flow as the expression is? Then you just pointed out that uh, uh, the influence is so big you know when you are surrounded by uh, people in various aspects of life and uh, the tendency is to follow the crowds Growing at the farm, you know, we and we grow sheep, and I know exactly how sheep uh, behave, because if one goes uh, one direction, all of them will uh, will follow, and I experience myself when quite few of them just jump in in um, in water or something and just drown, because just following others. Now, it's not good, Len. It's not good to follow the the crowds. So, what's wrong with it? Um, the wrong. Uh, I believe we need to have a strong. Uh, stand for what is right and to judge the circumstances not just to blindly uh, follow things can I just read something uh, at this stage just uh, a little uh, uh, statement here the greatest want of the world is the want of men men who will not be bought or sold men who in their innermost souls are true and honest men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to the duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right, even the heavens falls. I think that was a very interesting statement. 
And are we uh, in these days just experiencing that thing that there are not so many people to stand firm for what they believe in? Yes, this expression, go with the flow, actually applies in quite a few things. But it does. in the culture in which we live, there are certain anticipations and certain expectations. For example, although I used to play football when I was a teenager, I'm not really very interested in football. And uh, in the workplace, quite often, on a Monday morning when people come back to work, what is the topic uh, the topic of conversation it's football to be quite honest i couldn't care less and it's almost like you've made a uh, a choice to change from being a follower of the football to somebody who doesn't want to have much to do with the football and i suppose in certain ways it can make a person unpopular but i believe it's important and this is why I address that question to Nick. It's important for us to make decisions based on our likes, our dislikes, and particularly moral decisions to do that which is right, not just to go along with the rest of the crowd. Well, the Bible gives a um, quite an interesting record of... Sarah and Abraham. Now, of course, Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. Would you read Genesis 16, verses 1, 2, 5, and 6, then would you like to make a comment here? Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Verse 5 of Genesis 16. And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Verse 6, But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. You know, it's inevitable, um, panel, that and listeners, that we do, we will encounter change. But sometimes these changes come by our own wrong choices. And to encounter unpleasant change as a result, or unpleasant circumstances as a result of our own choices, something very sad indeed. They should have taken, I believe, God into account. Instead, they ran ahead and did their own thing. It's interesting to notice the reaction of Sarah when she found herself um, no better off than before that her handmaid, Hagar, was pregnant. Of course, back in those days, to be pregnant and have a child was very, very important. What did she do? (coughs) She went and blamed her husband. Yeah, amazing. Mm. But that wasn't fair because she put him up to the idea in the first place. Mm. 
and she didn't like the change. Later on, of course, she did have a son, and uh, it was much different then. Len, what uh, perhaps many of our listeners may or may not be aware of is the consequences of uh, following the advice of um, Sarah that Abraham did. If you go back to chapter 15 and verse 8, we won't read it, but God actually commends Abraham for his faith. God had said to him in that chapter that I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. And he didn't have any children at that point in time. As a result of following Sarah's advice and uh, taking Hagar and getting her pregnant, basically Hagar became the mother of Ishmael. And for those of you who look at genealogies or uh, know history well, you will know that the Ishmaelites, in fact, uh, Ishmael had 12 sons and they became what we know today as the Arabs. And consequently, what you've still got today, even in 2019, is that the seed of Isaac and Jacob, the Jews, and the seed of Ishmael, the Arabs, they're still at conflict, even yes. today. I doubt that Abraham or Sarah or anyone could have foreseen the consequences of the choices that they were making. Yes. Were there any other changes here? Say, for example, with Abraham. Was there a change with Abraham? as a result of this situation? This is a left-field question. Mm. I think there was. Yes, I believe because so Because Sarah blamed him before I assume that the relationship was good, a hopeful relationship. Now it turned into a different kind of relationship. Yes. Mm. There was a divide, a difference between them because of this situation. In the case of Sarah's uh, family, I observed that I read this story quite a few times in my life, but it never came up as it came uh, to today to me. Um, Sarah didn't have a stronger relationship with the Lord. If she would have a stronger relationship with God, things didn't turn the way they, they turned up. Mm. Yes. She didn't have trust and faith in the Lord, yeah. in the promise of God, yeah. and she tried to uh, to solve her uh, the problem by herself and but it turned up uh, very nasty and that's a good point because mm, when God revealed to Abram and Sarah that they were going to have a son of promise exactly a son between the, the two of them yeah. not with some other person involved what did Sarah do? she laughed yes. Yes. she thought this is ridiculous I'm, I'm 90 years old and she laughed. Mm -hmm. And I agree with what you said there. But what was God's response? He said, uh, your wife is laughing, Abraham. And he said, no, she isn't. And she denied it too. Yeah. And uh, God said, yes, you were laughing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Brenton, would you uh, just summarize for us the story that's told in Acts chapter 5, mm -hmm. verses 1 to 10, and it's about Ananias and Sapphira and a change that came into their lives and the consequence mm. of that change. Briefly, the story, as uh, Len has said, relates to two people who were members of the early Christian church. If you went back to the immediate verse before the beginning of chapter 5, it talks about someone called Barnabas, son of encouragement, who sold her property and brought the money to the apostles and said, here, use this. I think, Len, we need to understand that one of the reasons for doing this, for selling 
uh, properties and giving the money to the apostles is that if you became a Christian in that time, you would probably be barred from going to the synagogue. You would possibly even be barred from uh, trading with, with other people because you have chosen to become a Christian. And therefore, it was necessary to have a supply, if we like to put it this way, a fund, in order to support those who were choosing to follow the Lord. So jo Joseph Barsabas, or also known as Barnabas, did this. And uh, he brought his um, money and gave it to the apostles. Unfortunately, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it seems almost to me as I read it, that there's a degree of jealousy here. They've sold their property too, and they've brought the money, but they have only brought part of the money to Peter. And they, when Peter questioned them, he's, um, he said, is this the full price that you paid or you received, the, the full price that you received the money for? Yes, it is. They were lying. They only uh, gave Peter part of the money. I think in summarising fairly quickly, the Holy Spirit took fairly uh, drastic action here and uh, both Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives as a result of their uh, deception that they were practising. And I think uh, what we can learn from it is a pretty simple lesson. If you make a vow to God or a promise to God to carry it out, you should carry it out. Mm. These people tried to make out that they were doing what God wanted them to do. Yes, yes, this is what we got for the, the property, for the land. Here's the money. And um, Peter said to them, how is it that you've agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit? How is this applying for our study when we talk about the influence mm -hmm. of the people which surrounds you? Right. I think it's a very good example because, uh, as you said, in the Bible it says, if you don't want to make a vow to God, don't you are free to not to make it. Don't do it. You But have a choice. You have a choice. But mm -hmm. once you made that uh, vow, then you are responsible not only for what you said, but mm. also for the people who are uh, watching mm. and uh, see witnesses. witnesses. Yes. And that's important because we can uh, bring a, a false, you know, uh, interpretation yes. about God himself. Mm. Mm. Relating the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, on our topic today of encountering change, I like to think that when they actually saw the money, Uh, they could not uh, withstand the the temptation of to putting a lot of that in the money. And you know that uh, <clears throat> that change in person's financial situation can sometimes uh, crash their cr Christian experience. Yeah. They start th thinking selfishly. And, and well, probably another thing is because you know how it goes when you are, you know, people experiences the blessings of the Lord. And what about if God was blessing them to receive that good amount of money for that block of land, mm -hmm. probably which, which they didn't expect it. And in their minds, man, we got a double portion of this, the money. Probably people will know that that's value only about this much. Mm -hmm. What about to keep some? And here's the trick when Satan can, can really, um, you know, deceive us. When you have a promise, in the Bible says, even if it's against you, against your best interest. Yeah, you need to fulfill that promise. Yeah. Yeah. The irony here, Ananias and Sapphira kept some money back and they were probably going to have a good time spending that money. But they so never they thought. They didn't. They both died. And you think, well, wasn't this pretty harsh treatment? After all, they did give a goodly sum of money for the support of the church at that time. 
and admittedly they had told a lie to and Peter said well you're not lying against me you're lying oh, against yes. the Holy Ghost and he also so. said you're lying against God you'd think that although they gave that good amount of money they had told a lie wasn't this pretty harsh treatment yeah maybe not Len to be honest because uh, I think we live in a society when uh, we fulfill that uh, passage in the Bible when somebody you know is going to buy something or do something say oh it's wrong it's wrong and after he bought it he, he said what a good bargain I got you know we need to be honest with ourselves uh, because we represent in God and I think when you talk about the harshness you know we cannot judge God how he judge us also uh, we have to be honest to one another but first of all we have to be honest uh, to God in this case of Ananias and Sapphira they made a commitment to God to the Holy Spirit so they lied to the Holy Spirit so lying to the Holy Spirit, it's an uh, unforgivable sin. It seems to me that uh, there have been plenty of people since who've done pretty much the same as what they did. And I've thought about this mm. question. Why such a harsh treatment? And I believe it was important to set up a precedent yes, to show that when we make a commitment to God, we should, keep we should keep that commitment. Absolutely. And particularly in view of the fact that this was in the early church that was growing like anything, that people could not get the wrong idea, oh, well, God won't care too much. Hmm. I hmm. believe this has got a modern-day counterpart. You know, I've heard plenty of good Protestant people say yes we should keep all the commandments and I've heard them say this and yet they turn around and they don't mm. and to me it's, it's the same situation as Ananias and Sapphira say yes we keep God's commandments but they don't Lydia you've got something you would like to share here Changes come in our lives and they often bring temptations or challenges and even at times fear. Thus, how crucial is it that we have the spiritual armor on, on to deal with them in the right manner? Again, regardless of whether the changes are unexpected or whether they are just the typical part of life, we need to be prepared for what's coming, both the seen and the unseen things. Well, one of the biggest event in, events in most people's lives is getting married. And the next uh, part of the discussion we're going to deal with is about preparing for marriage. Will, who instituted marriage and when? Yes, God did. I think marriage in the whole, um, in our lives is one of those transitional points, a change that can be for the good and for the bad. Let me read Genesis chapter 2 to find the origin of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Verse 21 of Genesis 2, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, 
and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken out from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God speaking here, God ordains marriage, and what a wonderful institution it is. And that transitional point, or that change in one's life can bring great blessing, but it has to be done with God on our side. Yes, yes, great. Is it very significant that uh, it talks about when God created man, Adam, he created him of the dust of the ground, but when he created woman, he used part of man. Is there anything that's significant about that? I think one of the things that's significant about it, Len, is that uh, we are told that he took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the flesh. A rib is uh, a protecting agent uh, around where man's heart is. And I think that we could uh, come to a very good conclusion here that in taking or creating Eve from a rib of Adam, she was not to be his superior, she was not to be his uh, inferior, she was to be equal with him, and because he was, t she was taken from near Adam's heart. He was to love her and cherish her the same as he did. And we'll come to uh, some more comments on this about how Christ and the Church relate, which we will be dealing with. Yes, I, I like that. Mm. If God used a, a, a heel from Adam's foot to create Eve, it would suggest that Eve, or woman at least, was subjugated. Is, is inferior. Yes. If he created, uh, if he took part of her, his head, then it would suggest that she should be inferior. But no, this symbolically is yes. saying that man and woman are equal, which is not the case no, in all not. cultures or religions around the world. No, of course, marriage suggests something else. In the institution of marriage and the close relationship that there is between a husband and wife, we can see, as it were, um, an analogy or a symbol or a picture of um, the close relationship that exists between God and his Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, um, a unity which is filled with love, understanding, and uh, I, I think marriage teaches us, it makes us aspire to be more like God. Yes, there's, a, there's an analogy too which is used in the Bible about the relationship between Christ and his the people, church. the church, yes. is likened also to a marriage. Yes. I want to go a bit further about that, what uh, Brenton just already mentioned about the place where the one of the ribs, you know. Interesting enough that if you break one rib, it's a bit creates a bit of problem because they are in such way to be side by side. Yes. If you break one, you're you in know, uh, and Adam and Eve, they were about to be side by side, you know, to form a strong um, partnership. partnership. Uh, but 
we need to consider that because that was God's plan, perfect plan, which God used to say that was very good, you know. But after the sin, and here I want to really make a point, we experience the devastating effects of sin. And since then, nothing is the same again. Now, the big movement in this world, and I'm not advocating here any differences in between man and woman, but God specifically clarifies their role. And in the Bible it's so clear, it says to the woman that your desires will be after your husband and few other things. Now, there was periods in time when it was a patriarchal period and there were periods in time in history it was a matriarchal period. And we are facing one right now in our days when it's a big push towards women just to be elevated and put it in, uh, you know, superior places. Again, as I said, I'm not taking any sides, but we need to be aware of the fact what happens mm. because the enemy can use this thing. How many times you see women doing the job which God, uh, de- uh, you know, desire them to do in these days? They are full on working hard, do all those things, and sometimes maybe their husbands just laying on their backs. May I say that um, Jesus said something very interesting about uh, to his disciples. He said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them in their care. Uh, it shall not be so with you. Uh, Jesus, Jesus has said that even in, power, in a position of superiority, one should not lord it over and subjugate other people, especially in a marriage. Yeah. Uh, there should be no subjection, either of the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband. They're equal partners, and they need to learn to respect and love each other. Yes, we've said it on air before. A husband should not walk in the shadow of his wife, and the wife should not walk in the shadow of her husband. They are their own persons, yet they are joined together. You know, in preparing for marriage, when, when say, a young couple are deciding, yes, we want to get married, and they will go to a pastor, the pastor, if he's any good, should tell them about married life, the changes that there will be. Mm. Now, I've known people in the past, uh, particularly with young men, who have had a group of friends. They are one of the boys. And after marriage, they wanted to retain that relationship with their friends. And so maybe a couple of nights a week, they would go to the pub or something like that to be with the boys. Those marriages were not good. There has to be a mutual respect for your partner as for yourself. You don't neglect the partner in favour of what happened before. Mm. Brent, I know you've said on air before about your marriage. What is well, what are the well? What is the essential ingredient for a successful marriage? Len, rather than read the whole of First uh, uh, Corinthians thirteen verses four to eight, I just want to look at verse four. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. The type of love reflected in my marriage, as I've spoken of in the past, 
I respect my wife enormously. I think I have the best wife in the world. I guess some of the, the other men on this panel here would disagree with me on that, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, I have a wonderful wife who is a very gracious person. I believe that one of the key elements, Len, in marriage is not just love. It, it actually is more than that. Uh, Paul talks about it in other places and we haven't got time to look at it. One of the key ingredients in a successful marriage is mutual respect for one another. I think that um, dealing with this whole thing of marriage, we mustn't forget that God's will is, is that we should also not be unequally yoked. Yes, true. And uh, I, I found a statement that was written about 120 years ago, which, uh, if I may just share, uh, be sure then, counsel to a young person, be sure then that you do not choose the ungodly as your companion. They will influence you to do those very things that will displease God and deprive you of his blessing. The ungodly serve a master of whom they should be ashamed, ministering to your appetites and desiring selfish amusements is not a worthy life for a youth to lead and will never make a noble man or woman. I think that's wise counsel. Mm -hmm. Seek to be equally yoked. It is good counsel, Len. If I could make a comment on that just quickly, because I know time is moving on. Only as recently as last weekend, I was talking to a young lady who came to know the Lord that I had a fair bit to do with. And uh, she, she made certain choices. She chose to leave a, a job that she had here in Adelaide and travel to another part of Australia on the basis that this young man that she had met was going to be her future husband. At the time, I said to her, be very careful. This young man does not share your religious scruples or principles or your um, other standards. He is a heavy drinker. And I said, I, I would urge you, calling her by name, to take a great deal of care. I saw her again on the weekend, having not seen her for 12 months, and I said, do you remember what I said to you at the time? She said, yes. She said, that broke up a long time ago. She said, I wasn't respected. Uh, I wasn't taken into account. He's still drinking and he's not interested in any of the spiritual uh, values that I have. She said what you said to me was right. There are times, I believe, that we have to warn people who are taking steps that are going to lead them away from the Lord. It's not only their marriage that, or potential marriage that's in trouble. It's their eternal destiny that's mm. at stake. Yes. Well, if you were looking for a partner... Where in the Bible would you look for uh, good advice? Well, for one thing, I think I would uh, look for advice in Galatians. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The characteristics uh, that the woman should have is that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law or no condemnation as such you have to choose carefully and when you choose that sort of person you're well on the way to a happy future yeah. yes yeah. thank you I, I was going to say that i um, i grew up in a in a quite small community and uh, i kind of understood what that means to find a partner you know or in marriage um, in your 
community, you know, people who you know, and not only you know, but your parents, your friends, uh, and so on. We live in a time when it's a, a very multicultural uh, society, and we think, and this is unfortunately mediated so much, that that's the expression of love, you know, to accept everyone, you know, it's true it, to accept everyone, but when you choose such a partner for life, that's important to consider few important things, you know, to go along with your uh, um, uh, way of seeing life. And I believe that's why we are um, experiencing uh, a breakage in marriage, like a 50% or more probably in the in the marriages so actually <coughs> two out of every five marriages mm, in australia so. fail mm. yeah. that's a high percentage yeah there's a statement that uh, i could perhaps share there's a question is he or she a hard worker that's a good question to ask does he or she have a bad temper does he or she share the same common beliefs yes. and how do my family and friends feel about my future spouse Am I relying on faith or on feelings alone? Infatuation can lead you down a dangerous path. I think the answer to these questions is the very key to happiness in the future. It's interesting you've just uh, shared that, Will. One of my sons went through two engagements and the first girl he was engaged to, very pretty, but she had a bit of a vile temper and she had a, a very high opinion of herself and I said to my wife I wish our son had asked us if she was a suitable partner and we would have said no well it didn't last they were engaged for a month or so and uh, it finished off and of course he was sorry now he's been happily married for a much longer time. All right. Um, well, now we're going to move on to another thing. Following marriage is um, being a parent. And you have to prepare for being a parent because parenting is just not an automatic process. Mm. There's no manual for it, like mm. a car no, manual. No, we're all amateurs as parents, <laughs> at least first time round. <laughs> Having children is an awesome responsibility because we have somebody else's... We are in charge of somebody else's lives for a certain amount of time. There's also a, a responsibility because big changes will happen in our own lives. The question is, how can one prepare for these changes? Well, I think in my own case... I had a good role model from my own parents. We did read some child-rearing books to learn what to do. For example, I never had a clue how to change a nappy. I don't think I have a clue even now, but that's unimportant at this stage. But we have to understand that things will not be the same as they used to be when we were uh, without children. Ledger, in the Bible there is a record about Samson's birth and some instruction that the Lord gave with regard to him. Would you read Judges 13 verses 2 through to 5 
and perhaps comment about that. A certain man of Zorach named Manoach from the clan of Dan had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy, the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistine. So, he was Samson was chosen by by the Lord from before he was conceived. So uh, I think God find these faithful uh, people who was um, Manoah, is the right pronunciation? Manoah. Manoah, mm-hmm. yes, sorry, Manoah and his wife. She doesn't have a, a name. They don't refer to her uh, uh, with a name. We don't know her name. But I think f- uh, the Lord find these people uh, very faithful people and God chose them to be the parents of uh, Samson. So Samson was chosen by the Lord, as it says here, that he will deliver the Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Anyway, it's a long story, uh, yeah, Samson's life. It's an interesting story. Before Very you say something here, Nick, there were a couple of specific instructions there that Very God specific. gave Samson's mother what she should do and what she should not do. Can you remember a couple of them? Yeah, it says uh, not to drink wine or other fermented drink and uh, not to eat anything unclean. Okay, now one would assume that maybe they had a little bit of wine before. I think uh, God gave instructions to Manoah and especially to his wife to eat clean and not to drink fermented, nothing fermented because God prepared the environment of her womb and of her body to be a clean environment for the for Samson to be yeah. uh, conceived and also live in her womb until he's born because I think God wants his people to be clean people with a healthy mind and a healthy uh, brain and body well now we have a uh, story of another uh, birth a very special one also recorded in the Old Testament in the book of First Samuel Will. It's a beautiful story of uh, Elkanah and Hannah um, who weren't blessed with a child and um, Hannah prayed for a boy and then Samuel was born and uh, she was so gr- grateful for what God had done for her by giving her this great gift that um, she decided to take him to the temple and verse 28 of first samuel 1 says therefore also i have lent him to the lord as long as he liveth he shall be lent to the lord and he worshiped the lord there so this child was given to god dedicating a child to god what a tremendous uh, uh, what a wonderful gift from a parent to give their child to the um, raising the child for God. Mm. And uh, what a uh, uh, blessing 
um, from uh, the mother because it's not easy for the mother to give away your child, you know, from an, an early age. But Hannah was so dedicated to the Lord that she, because she prayed for such a long time and she really wanted to have a baby, she decided in her heart, and I think she also make, made a pact with God and said, Lord, if you're going to give me a child, I'm going to consecrate it to you from an early age. And she, she did so exactly the same. And uh, actually, I love the mothers who are very committed to the Lord in prayer, and they are connected with the Lord in everything they do. And they ask the, the, uh, the Lord for advice in every little thing. So even when you, before you plan to have children, uh, ask the Lord in prayer for about, because God gives us children with a, a blessing responsibility to raise them up, to be Jesus followers, to love Jesus and to consecrate their loves to Jesus because children are not ours. Children are God's children. Yes, basically dedicating a child to the yes. Lord is yes. dedicating the parents to the Lord. Yes. yes. Well, let's move on. Brenton, another baby, a New Testament baby. His parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the baby, of course, was... John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And the question is, how did John's parents conduct their lives? I will read this verse briefly. Uh, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Then it adds the word blameless in other words John even though he wasn't even yet conceived had the best set of parents he could possibly have because yeah. both his father and his mother were totally committed to the Lord and to use the word blameless which is not found in scripture very often suggests that these people were very very devout in following the Lord and John had the best possible opportunity in his early years to become what God intended him to be, which was the forerunner to the Messiah. And they were very the good examples mm. of parents. All right, Fletcher, but there's a little statement there that you might like to share with our <coughs> listeners today. Uh, yes, even before the birth of the child, the preparation should begin that will enable it to fight successfully the battle against evil. And even before the birth of her, of her child, the mother should be very careful if she is going to be self-indulgent or if she is selfish or impatient and exciting. So these traits will be reflected in the disposi disposition of the child. I would like to say that a mother should be very uh, acquainted with the fact that the way her state of mind is in, in that time of pregnancy is transferring straight away to the child in the womb and is affecting tremendously mm. stress, uh, mm. trauma, um, whatever is very bad affects the child in their yes. brain, in their feelings, in their emotions also, yes. Mm. All right. Very good. Just very quickly, we said a bit earlier that uh, a child doesn't come with a, um, a workshop manual. manual. <laughs> but uh, interesting enough that we have so much information in the Bible, how we can, uh, uh, you know, prepare 
for parenting and uh, how we can have good results. Now, not always because of the consequences of sin, you know, things will be as we wanted. But it's a very good uh, advice if we follow the, those things. I, I wonder when um, particularly many ladies, uh, I see them, you know, pregnant and they are smoking or drinking and do, not caring about anything what they're doing because they're thinking, oh, it's my life. But actually, it's not yours. Right. <laughs> you know? right, and you, life. Yeah, you need to be responsible yeah. because you, you have uh, another life there. Yeah. One of the things I had to learn when I first became a parent was how to walk down the footpath. You don't just step off the curb when you're wheeling a baby in a pusher mm-hmm. or a pram. You have to find a place where it's made for it. Otherwise, if you just step off like you would when you have no baby there, well, he'd get a pretty big jolt. <laughs> but anyhow, let's move on. Another thing that we have to prepare for is old age. Well, unfortunately, it just sort of sneaks up on us somehow. Most people will, in relating things about when they were younger, they would say, when I was young, or younger at least, uh, some of the changes that happen, a person is less physical, particularly with men. The hair will disappear or go grey. There are hormonal changes and deteriorating health and bingo wings. Do you know what bingo wings are? That's a good one. Anybody know what bingo wings are? Well, I'll show you one. It's not. When underneath your arm becomes all flabby. The floppy skin. Yeah, instead of being muscle, it's just all flabby. Um, There are changes. I mean, (laughs) you don't have to be Einstein to work that out. Um, how do you feel about getting old, panel? We've talked about the, the changes that uh, we encounter with marriage and then parenting or when a child comes. Those are choices. We can stay single or we can not have children. But I tell you what, um, when old age comes, you've got no choice in the matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it comes and you need to encounter that uh, with with God. Certainly... Um, I wish that uh, my my old age would be a healthy old age by being mm-hmm. responsible today. At my age of 75, uh, I can see that there are many people, um, many people that have not really taken care of their lives, and uh, it could have been so much different. Um, it's true that uh, these health problems do come unexpected on people and uh, one doesn't want to boast but I think that there is wisdom in caring for your body uh, so that you can go into old age with strength now I'm not sure uh, I will just use this phrase I mean you can help me because English is my you know second language and but I like in English quite um, uh, you know how how sometimes the language works out growing old mm. that's an interesting uh, thing you know which means you are not uh, you are growing mm. when you get old you are not uh, uh, you know just fading down you know what that means you have more wisdom to say so probably you accumulated in time uh, you know some knowledge and if you are uh, wise enough to apply it you may grow old nicely mm-hmm. Len, one of the uh, interesting things about uh, growing old, if you can put it that way, is 
I look forward to the opportunity to share with young people as and when uh, I have the opportunity uh, to share with them perhaps some mistakes I've made in my life and trying to encourage them not to make the same mistakes mm. themselves. People today think young people don't have any respect or any um, regard for older people. I don't believe that that is totally true. Mm. I think it depends on the way that you present it. You, if they come to you and say, I'm a bit concerned about such and such, what should I do? Um, then you can share that wisdom with them. Um, what you can do, perhaps in the society in which we live these days, because it's less rigid than it was in the past, is to say, you've given me this um, problem and said, what should I do about it? Probably in a good, good counsellor, what you would do is you would give them options and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And uh, I think you'll find that that approach works much better with young people in being able to share your wisdom. So for me, the best way to grow old, because there's no, no other choice, uh, is to put my life in God's hands uh, since I I'm young. So I serve the Lord since I was young, and all my life and all His all my plans are in, uh, His plans. <clears throat> and... Um, um, I would like to say that uh, we can develop a deep personal knowledge of God from the youth, from a, a young age. I can say that God can be our strong refuge, our savior, uh, our rock and fortress. And his hope and confidence uh, is going to abide in us. And uh, uh, he speaks of uh, God's mighty deeds and his strength and power and uh, um, all we have examples in our Bible also, and uh, I love Psalm 71, read Psalm 71, uh, I think it's so. written by uh, uh, somebody which in, uh, it's, it's an older and experienced person, and I really love it. What's another thing there that you can do to prepare for old age, Britain? Develop good habits, and I would particularly agree with that. Good nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, rest, etc. will help us enjoy life longer and better. Take special note as to how the psalmist refers to the habits of trust. I would certainly agree that as you get older, Len, it is very important to keep yourself physically in shape. Mm. I try, aware of a possible, to ride my bike 18 kilometres every day. It not only helps me to lose weight, but it, uh, I've found that my energy levels have risen and my alertness mentally is also better. Mm. And in Psalm 71, in fact, uh, as Lydia said, the whole psalm is, is excellent counsel to yes, an ageing person. Um, I find there in verse 8 um, something interesting. This person is, is advocating a deep passion for God's mission. The person is not looking forward to being idle in his old age. Even in his retirement, he wants to continue praising God and telling others about him. What a wonderful way to finish your life. Mm. Mm. Now, we are very uh, short of time to finish <laughs> the last section, mm. which is about preparing for death. I have two ideas that I would just like to share with your listeners to prepare for death. It's not something we look forward to preparing uh, for to experience, I should say. It seems to me that the greatest thing that one can do to prepare for death is to prepare for life, mm. that is, eternal life. Mm. 
to serve and obey and to love and to be influenced by the Lord God who promises if we are faithful to him he will come again to receive us to himself that we might be with him forever. To me that is the most important thing. The other one is to put it off as long as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've already had a few things about uh, living a good life. Not good in the sense of the high life, but looking after yourself, trusting in the Lord. Put it off as long as possible. I was going to ask the question about uh, are you afraid of death? And I have spoken to lots of people said, no, I'm not afraid of death because I have linked my life with the Lord and Mm. if he sees fit to take me, I have his promise that I will be raised again. Listeners, I'm sorry, we're out of time. We would have loved to have shared some more stuff with you, but um, Nick's going to pray for us to close. Yeah, let's uh, thank God for uh, learning at his feet how to prepare for many changes which occurs in our lives. Father in heaven, we want to just present ourselves to you, Lord, right now, and thank you for all the wisdom and all the counsel you gave us through your word. And I pray that uh, you'll help us to search your word more and to learn more, not to be uh, driven by the influence of the multitudes or uh, the crowd, pressure but to be driven by your everlasting word Mm -hmm. i pray that you'll uh, empower each one of us to take the right decisions as we're going through this life and particularly as we are studying these wonderful subjects of uh, uh, how to grow how to know you more how to be a happy family on this earth but also preparing for the wonderful family in heaven with you i pray all these things in the name of jesus christ Mm. Amen. 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 Amen.